again is that you see one of the missionaries that we are support, supporting in the house, Compassion Corps International. Let's give it up for them. Come on. You're going to be learning about this today, but let me just share with you for a few moments from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, because the introduction cannot be long enough for the man of God and faith and power that's about ready to come up here. We have been in relationship for 28 years. 28 years. We were much thinner. We had much less gray hair. Uh, but uh, we are still in relationship after all of that time. If, if you're older than 28 years old, raise your hand if you're older than 28. So there's about half, maybe not even half the congregation, so a quarter of you can even understand what I'm talking about. I mean, most of us have not kept friends around that, that long, let alone mentors, pastors, leaders, and I hope we are developing that kind of relationship here. So I met this gentleman when I was 19 years old, being dropped off for Bible college in New Orleans, in New Orleans. He was the one who greeted me and my father and welcomed us in. He then was shocked about how much I disrespected my father, and then he knew at that moment his hands would be full as I would disrespect him, and he have to kick me out and teach me the ways of not only the Lord, but of being a southern gentleman. Hallelujah. Now, he doesn't talk with an accent like that. He doesn't have like a Georgia accent. But he was raised a little bit outside the bayous. His pet was an alligator. No, half kidding. But uh, no, he is a southern gentleman. And he welcomed me in, 19 years old. So think about this, y'all. He has known me since I was 19 years old. At that moment, I had no idea that I was meeting my spiritual pappy. But I met someone who would love me as Christ has loved me. And here, let me just tell you something. I grew up with a godly father, so I understood a father figure. And so to, un to see that God would give that to me in the ministry is a dream come true. And so look at what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I want everyone to be encouraged by this today. There is a baton that has been passed from generation to generation, even as we were talking in the back about how he had people that he looked up to and people that he admired that took him evangelizing in front of a bar in different places like that. What we are doing today, my brothers and sisters, is the example of the apostles handed down from generation to generation. We are not the first ones to be radical. We're not the first ones to shout in service or to feel the Holy Ghost or to want to go back out there to the streets and to change the world. And not only that, this man right here brought me into his house when his son, would you just stand up for me, Josiah, was less than a year old. This young man right here, come on up here. I want everybody to see you strapping young lad. If my children can be half the men of God, this guy is right here, I would be so blessed, man. I'm going to have you talk in just a minute, but I'm going to let you go back. Give it up for this man of God right here. When when, when this professor brought me into his house, when this amazing man of God brought me into his house, this young man was in diapers, suckling. He was a suckling child at that time. If you know, he was not yet weaned. He had not yet been weaned, if I haven't said that clearly enough. We, how many have been suckled here? No, I don't want to raise hands. But you know, if you grew up in a family where you were given that kind of nurture from your mama, you know that you were loved and you were cared for. So when he was a child, not yet weaned, 
not yet weaned. I came into the house, and he had three older brothers for a total of four. And I used to love watching them fight. Man, I would just set them up in the middle of there of that living room and have them fight each other. And they would just box and be my little entertainment. But I got to watch them because they were homeschooled. And you have to understand, that was the first time I had ever been involved in a homeschool family. In the church I grew up in, there was a few that were homeschooled, but they were just weird to me. I didn't know anything about them. They seemed weird and strange, a little bit antisocial. And, you know, that just wasn't a thing in our church. So every Everybody else went to public school. Everybody else did their thing. few of them went to private school. I did that for a little bit, but I just wasn't aware of that. And I watched this man with his wife at the table week after week, day after day. I can't count how many times I've been over to his house. Mama Melanie, Sister Melanie would put down the dinner. The children would be around the table. And at some point, Brother Anthony would say, let's read the scripture. And then he would read the scripture and ask them, what do you think about this. Tell me what the Lord is saying. And I was amazed at the knowledge that they had and the memorization. They memorized the kings of the Bible. Do you guys even know two kings of the Bible other than David and Saul? They would memorize the kings of the Bible. His oldest son has gone on to get a PhD in the New Testament. All of his sons are in ministry and Bible college trained in one way or another. Is that not amazing? So brothers and sisters, when I say that there's been an example. And many of you, I just want to say this in all humility, you look to me and you're like, Joe, you're the first pastor I saw break down the word like this. Or, Pastor, you're the first one I saw going out doing evangelism. Brother, these men and women that we went to Bible college had master's degrees, had pastored some in uh, churches all across the country, but they would take us out to the poorest of the poor, to the craziest places. I've watched my pastor deal with drunkards on the street. I mean, I've watched him deal with the homeless. When you watch a man of God come away from the pristine pulpit and go down into the places of poverty, you can then see their passion for the prince of Jesus Christ, the king of kings, amen, the prince of peace. And so as I watched him do that, it just, I was enamored by it. We would go to the projects, we would go to Bourbon Street, and I watched him preach, and then when he would come, you know, back then we were much more formal, he would come with a tie to the class and then teach us the Greek and the scriptures. And, and, and you want to talk about a notebook, this brother had binders of notebooks. It would be like, now, brothers, we're going over chapter one, and he would bring the binder for chapter one. And it would just go on and on and on and on. And we're just sitting here going, how did you get all of that from chapter one? And even to this day, I don't know what we're getting here. You may get Professor Anthony, and you may learn more about the Bible than you have ever learned. Somebody say, follow my example as I follow Christ. I cannot overemphasize this to you enough because now here's the thing. Some of you may say, well, I'm a little jelly of that. I want to have a spiritual father. I want to have that. You know, but here's the thing. You can have that in this place today. You can build relationships with men and women of God, spiritual mamas and spiritual fathers. And some of you may be like, you know what? Well, I don't, I don't see that person yet. Or I'm one of the older ones and I'm getting mentored by a young one. It does not matter about that. Because remember, we're all older than Jesus now. Would you have been mentored by Jesus? Or would you pull like the generation card and be like, no, Jesus, I'm in my 40s. You're in your 30s. You can't mentor me. 
No, see, mentorship and passion for the things that we're doing doesn't come by the age. You can be old and dumb. Can I hear an amen from any old people? A lot of my friends are old and dumb. They have not got wise yet. They're in foolishness, man. They're on their third marriage. I mean, I just met one. Where's, uh, yeah, Victor, did we not just sit in the hot tub in my nice neighborhood? You know, we're in there in a nice neighborhood, and the man tells us that he's on his third, no, he's fourth marriage. Fourth marriage. Come on, I don't care how nice of a car he drove there. Man, that guy's tore up from the floor up. He needs a checkup from the neck up. You can't be happy on your fourth marriage. Are you listening to me? I don't care if you have as much money as Donald Trump. What that shows is you've had a life of pain. Are you listening to me? One divorce can lead some people to suicide. I mean, it's painful. If anybody's been for a divorce, you know what I'm talking about. It's painful. Imagine going through that three times. And he was my age, wasn't he? He was 47 years old. So, brothers and sisters, when I tell you that I saw this man's marriage faithful, when I saw his ministry, and I said I wanted that, it wouldn't have mattered what age I was at. I just happened to get saved at 19. He's always been about 10 years older than me because that's kind of how it works, right? He's always going to stay that. That, that older than me, everybody tracking with that. So I'm never going to catch up to that. But the way I look at it is, is it doesn't matter what age I would have encountered him at. The day I got saved, I needed someone to teach me how to live for Jesus. So if you've gotten saved at 30, let someone teach you how to live for Jesus. If you got saved at 40, let somebody teach you how to live for Jesus. If you're 15, learn how to live for Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? And get ready to give a big God bless you to the man of God with faith and power for the hour. The one, the only man, the myth, the legend, pastor, bishop, apostle, evangelist, teacher, brother, Anthony Freeman. I'm really going to cry. I'm serious, man. That's so amazing. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Man, it's so good to be here with you in this house. And was, uh, because I remember when Pastor Joe was uh, dreaming about this. There was no house. There was just the call and the vision. And that's where it all starts. You know, God gives a dream. He gives a vision. And, um, and then if we're faithful to God, if we do what God says, if you will just, man, it's so simple. It is. It's not hard to understand. A child can understand. If we'll just do what Jesus said. You want to have a good marriage? Do what Jesus said. Want to treat, treat people right? Do what the book says. You know? Someone offer you your coat, you know? Give them your cloak also. If someone asks you to go to a mile, go two of them, you know? I mean, it's all in there. Treating people right, right? It's all in the book. And, it, and it's in following Jesus. You know, treat your wife right. The Bible talks about that. You want, you want a good marriage? You know, you better start treating each other right. You want kids that follow God and get in a healthy relationship? You better start uh, loving God and treating your wife right. The Bible says God won't answer your prayers. If, you, if your marriage isn't, is, is not where it needs to be, if you're not walking in fellowship and relationship, we have it all over the country. Love God, love people. I don't even know where I'm going this morning. Love God, love people. We have that everywhere. And you got divorce as high in the church as it is out there. 
So we're not getting it some kind of way. Love God, love people, duh. It's in the Bible, yes. But you know what? We can have it up here. But if you don't have it here, it doesn't matter. You can have it up here. You can know it. But if you don't know it in your heart, if it ain't a part of you, if you're not living it, and that's what God wants to do in our heart. God wants to make it real. He makes to, His word is alive. It's powerful. It's mighty. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, God's word never returns empty. It doesn't return empty. God's word is effective. When? All the time. God's word does not return void, but it shall accomplish the task that it was sent forth to do. And here's the, here's the thing. The word of God says this in that same context. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as the rain and the snow come down and water the earth and does not return again till it brings forth seed for the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, it's effective. It's effective. It works all the time. I've served God since 1981. God's word has never failed me. Since 1981, when I started serving God and following Jesus Christ, and I, I got discipled to go on the streets too. When I got saved, right on the streets. I thought used to think that if you didn't preach on the streets, you weren't saved. I, ever, I thought everyone else was religious. I, I put that in my doctrine, you know, for when I was young. Because they took me right out to the streets. And I didn't know nothing but John 3.16 and probably said it 20 times in two minutes, you know. But people got saved. People got saved. Why? Because God's word is effective. It does not return void. It accomplishes the task it was sent forth to do. God said that about his word. He says, my word shall not return void, but it will accomplish the task that it was sent forth to do. And then there's some really good stuff afterwards. He says, you will go out with joy. Be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth with laughter, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know what that is? That's perspective. That's perspective. You understand? Getting Jesus into your life changes your perspective. Getting Jesus into your life changes your marriage. The old ball and chain, you know, the dudes that work the old ball and chain, that's of the devil. God's put a man in the garden and said, I want you to name all these animals I've created. Just to teach him one thing. That there was no one else for him on the planet than the woman that God was going to send him. That's right. Go back to the book and read it. He says, God showed him and there was not a partner found for Adam. Did God know it? Of course God knew it. God wanted him to know it. God wanted him to know it. And he didn't make him out of uh, his feet, but out of his side to become his life partner. And the two shall be one. Marriage is awesome. I'm still having an awesome marriage. I've been married uh, 38 years, going to be 39 years. My wife is my favorite person in the world. She's my partner in ministry. I don't. I would rather be with her right now than be with y'all or anyone else on the planet. 
you know. And when we, it's just right. She came, she was with us. We were up in Minnesota ministering and, um, and she was up there. And uh, last year, we, we, I, I, I told Pastor Joe in the last three years, uh, we're going on our fourth now. We have, uh, our job now is to serve missionaries. And we serve about 1,068 U.S. missionaries across the United States, Alaska. Uh, and we've traveled, uh, last year I traveled 46,800 miles in 10 months. Over 100,000 miles we've traveled. And I've seen the hand of God. I've seen miracles. I've seen God do miraculous things everywhere. Everywhere. Because God's a miracle working God. Because his word shall not return void. Because his word shall accomplish the task that it was sent forth to do. Because God says I'm a healer. God heals people. You know, God's a provider. He's provided for me. I went up to uh, Anchorage uh, this past uh, uh, July, uh, end of June, July. I drove from New Orleans to Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, we got up, and um, I, there was a missionary up there who needed a 7 by 12 trailer. You know, he, he uh, like there's 70-something churches he's built up there in Alaska. And he is... Uh, he needed a 7 by 12 covered trailer. He works on these churches. And uh, so I, I, well, I was up there with him in March, and when I said, Brother Otis, when, uh, when I get down, I'm going to go raise the money for, the, for that uh, trailer. It was about $8,000, and I'll bring, I'm going to bring it up to you in the summer. So then I needed, man, a, quite a bit of money to bring that up there to him to drive it from New Orleans all the way up into Anchorage, 10,000 miles. So... That's about what people, most people put on their car in a year. We drove that in one shot. I drove up there, and I get up to the border of Montana and Canada, because you, you got to drive through Canada. So you got to drive through Alberta, and then you hit the top of British Columbia, and then you go into the Yukon Territories on the Alcan Highway. The, there, there's, there's no between, like, you don't see nobody. You know, sometimes there's no road. Sometimes it's just gravel road. I saw 19 black bears and five grizzlies right on the side of the road. Her, whole, you know, uh, whole, uh, you know, um, herds of wild bison, buffalo, moose, everything, you know. And, um, and then it's beautiful land. You see all kinds of beautiful things. But anyway, we get up to Montana, the border there, and uh, this... And then we had supporters that had pledged, because it was quite a bit of money to, to get up there, just in gas. So I'm pulling, the, uh, you guys maybe saw the uh, van with the trailer. I'm pulling it up there. My wife calls me and says, you got $200 in the bank. Whoever was going to give that money didn't give it. So I'm to the border, $200 you got in your bank. That's it. That's a tank and a half of gas. We knew what God had asked us to do. And we were only one-third of the way to Anchorage. And that's not even coming back home. $200 in the bank. But God had told us to do this. So we prayed, and we drove on into Canada with $200 in our bank. We had one more tank of gas. That was it. And over the next few weeks, God sent money in from people I never asked. 
$1,000 here, $1,000 there. Where did it come from? People called up, said, God told me to send you this. And I've seen that over my life over and over and over and over and over. I've seen $2.7 million come in at one time from one person. Why? Because we needed that out in Oakland when we built that school out there. We needed it. We needed it. God told us to plant that college out there. And when we needed it, God gave it. Why? Because God's word, his ways are higher than our ways. And God's word is true. God's word does not fail. God does not fail. We might fail, but God's word does not fail. You know, the problem is, is we have a trouble believing the word of God. You say, Pastor, come on, I believe the word of God. Yeah, but if you're not living it, you're not believing it. If you're not doing it, you're not believing it. Because every day, every day you do the things that you really believe. What you believe, that's what you're going to do. You know, if you really believe you need to lose weight. Sometimes we don't, you know, us old guys especially, you know, <clears throat> When you have to lose weight, you see an old guy like me, like all my friends that lose weight about my age, you know, because I'm kind of getting there. Thankfully, I went to the doctor, and I still got a good heart, you know. But I see all the guys and say, man, how do you lose all that weight? Oh, well, I did this, and don't drink your calories, and blah, blah, blah. You were with me one day, and we saw one of our friends that was just, he looked worse than me. And like, uh, you know, he lost all kinds of weight. And he was like, oh, I did this, and he was now the gym rat. And like, you know, he had the answer for all the, you know, Weight Watchers, whatever. You know, and then Pastor Joe called him out. And he says, but brother, was something wrong? Was something wrong? In other words, was there something physical? And the doctor says, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. Okay, that dude, that's, and then, then he's kind of, oh, yeah, he kind of under his breath said, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you almost got to die, and then you lose weight. Right, you remember who I'm talking about. <laughs> Pastor Joe calls everybody out. So anyway, like, uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Pastor Joe made it real, and whatever people were thinking, Pastor Joe was going to put it out in the air, put it out in the open. And right there, he made that pastor confess, I was about to die. And then they made me lose weight. Yeah, but he wasn't thinking about it before then. He wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't going to cost him his life. He didn't believe it. He didn't believe it until he saw the report from the doctor and said, you are going to die if you don't lose weight. And that's what made him lose weight. What is it God's asking you right now? What is it God's asking you right now to do? What's God's word to you? I want you to play that video right now. Alaska. It's a land of many people, abundant with resources and wildlife. We have months of daylight and months of darkness. But the greatest darkness is our need for Jesus. 
As I look into the village and I see the need and emptiness needs to be filled. And there's the people out here who are lonely and lost and looking for a source of happiness. But they never find that happiness because they look into drugs and alcohol and depression comes. You know, I remember growing up in the village and seeing just the different trauma that even people of my own age would go through. And I remember thinking, even at that age, like, this is not right. This should not be happening. This hurts because many of my people were drowning in sin and darkness and need light. Alaska needs laborers. We need people that are willing to go to the villages, go to these dark places to shine the light of Jesus and be able to walk alongside people and bring them from pain to purpose, to disciple them, to help them realize that God has a call and a destiny on their life. The way I got saved and my family got saved was a missionary came to the village. Our village has seen the light, but there's so many villages that need the light of Jesus. They're sitting in darkness and they're bound in addiction. And you know, you've got families and youth that are broken up and they're not with their family. But when they start to see the light come in and they start to see the love of Jesus shown, what hope that brings inside of people's hearts. Therefore, come. Are you ready to come? Are you ready to go to be planted in the villages of Alaska? Are you ready to say yes? God's calling you. 40 years ago, I heard that there are over 100 villages in Alaska with no gospel witness. It was then that I responded to the call of God, and so we came. We came in search of spiritual gold. Alaska is a great state, but the reality is, is Alaska has people who do not know Jesus. And all these years later, we are still saying that there are 100 villages in Alaska that have no gospel witness. Come to Alaska. Are you ready to come and pour into some people in Alaska and be a part of what God's gonna do? Come into the land and share the gospel. And that's you. Years ago I was praying what was we were building All Nations Fellowship. God called us to plant a church right after we left SUM. And I remember I needed $250,000. And I just went on my knees for five hours. I prayed and I said, God, I'm not coming off this floor until you tell me where this money's at. I prayed for five hours. I prayed. I thought, man, I'm going to stay here. Because every time, you know, all the money, $2 million it cost us to renovate that property. And... Um, God provided every bit of that. All of it came in. Over four years, debt-free, the Lord did it. And how did it come in? We prayed. We prayed. We, that, that happened on our knees. You know, God called us to do something and told us what to do, and we just did it. I remember that day that I was praying, and, man, we were, we were desperate. We needed $250,000. I prayed five hours, praying in the tongues, man, praying in tongues, just waiting on God, praying in the Spirit, listening to the voice of God. At the end of it, in a moment, God showed me the life of Barnabas and all the things God reminded me of, the things that I've done over the years and what God has had me do. And the Lord was showing me 
the next step in my life, what I'd be doing. I was still pastoring the church, and uh, right then God showed me I'd come alongside missionaries and ministers, and I'd help them. I'd help lift up their hands. And so uh, that happened about three or four years ago as we launched uh, this ministry that we're doing now. And, of course, we had the ministry Compassion Corps with us, and I said, I'm going to take them with me, and uh, I'm going to show them the mission field. And so we've been traveling. We travel 10 months out of the year, and we travel all over the place. And uh, we went up to Alaska three years ago. It's been over three years. It's been over three years ago. And we were sitting down with that, uh, the white minister there, uh, Brother Bill Welch. Come to find out, we had been in Bible college together at CBC in 1983. So I'm sitting across from him, and he begins telling me, that there are 100 unreached villages in Alaska for 40 years. And that uh, there's no gospel witness at all. No, there's no church of any kind, no Catholic church, no, no church of any kind. People just living in darkness. And as he's telling me this, right then, the Spirit of God just hits me from the top of my head. And I see a vision right then while this man's talking to me. God shows me an Eskimo man standing on a frozen body of water, the snow blowing sideways. His voice is, he's not speaking, but I can hear his thoughts. And uh, while the pastor is talking to me, you know, and telling me, would you make a video for us? And that's what we do. We, create, we created that video. I filmed and produced that video. We edited it, filmed it. All that footage is ours. And, um, but while I was talking to him, he said, would you create a video to call, make a call for pastors, people that called the ministry? And I, I said, you know, I, I'm seeing this vision. I'm seeing this Eskimo man, you know, and I, I can't eat my, I got a knot in my throat. The power of God's on me. And I just tell him, I said, I'll do it. That's all I could get out. He says, well, I don't have the money. We don't know how much this is going to cost. Uh, we've probably spent $90,000 in the last three years going to Alaska. It costs like almost $50,000 to make that video, just travel costs. Just to fly out to the villages in little bush plains, to get out on a boat, go 17 miles with all my camera gear up the Yukon River to a little island where young Eskimo kids are being reached for Jesus. And then I walk in the day that I'm on that camp, and I go up, pull up with my camera, and I go into the, this place where they're, this uh, you know, building where they're having service, and I hear the same cry out of girls, little girls, that, uh, that I've heard for all these years out of, uh, out of the inner city. That cry of uh, abused kids. And that's the same cry. And to hear the stories of kids being abused and that kind of thing. We filmed that and uh, our, one of our interns, Rachel, I met her on that trip. She's from Anchorage, Alaska. She came. I told her about Compassion Corps. But anyway, God's showing me this vision of this man. And, and, and uh, I see this man. And then when I meet them later on and tell them about what God's showing me. He says, well, you got to go out to, you got to go out to Kotlik. It's on the edge of the Bering Sea. 
It's on the ocean that goes between. It's on the edge of the ocean that goes between the United States and Russia. It's frozen, four feet thick of ice. It's so cold. I took my glove out. My hand began to freeze. And so we go there to this village. And when I began filming that man, I realized this was the man God showed me in that, in that vision. Brother Jimmy O'Kitkin, he was reached. He was reached because somebody said yes to Jesus. Now he's the presbyter over all those churches on the western coast of Alaska. In all the villages that have been reached, that man is the presbyter. He's an Eskimo. He still hunts seal and beluga whale with the spear. That's right. You know, that's what they eat. Eskimo means meat eater. And, and they eat meat. They eat salmon. There's no, there ain't no vegetation out on that cold place. You know, they got these berries they eat or something they pick for the few months that it's not frozen there. And they, you know, they eat beluga whale. And we ate it too. It's like chewing on bubble gum that won't dissolve, you know, and like seal oil. And that's an acquired taste. And, you know, but that salmon was amazing. We ate salmon. Anyway, the fact of the matter is if somebody answered the call of God, somebody said yes to Jesus. Somebody said yes to the call of God. Now, the call of God is upon all of us. The call to go out and make disciples is on every single person who names the name of Jesus. The day you give your life to Jesus is the day that you're ushered not only into the body of Christ and in the life of Christ and into the fullness of Christ, but it's the day that you get ushered into an eternal mission for God. Every one of us. Now, I know I'm preaching in the right church because I see you guys. I know the heart of this pastor. I know every one of you are being discipled in an amazing way. But if I'm just going to still say it for the cause of it, that God has called us all to go into this world and to make disciples. And the only thing, the only thing that's going to matter in eternity has nothing to do with anything we can earn on this planet and in this life. It will all pass away. It's all temporal. You need it. We need it. You need houses and cars and all that. You need it. You do need it. And God has promised to provide it for you. God has promised to give you a job if you need it. God has promised to help you, to bless you, all those things. The problem is we tend to make those things the primary things in our lives, and they're not. The reason why I read to my children Every single day that we had supper, and you can ask this guy if I'm lying, but if we were there, we had devotions as a family every single time, and we had it around the dinner table. The reason why I did that, because I figured, hey, if I go out and reach the world, but I fail with my family, what have I really done? And by the way, they're with me 24-7. They see me, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things I can't be religious about or I can't dress up or put a suit on. They see when dad gets mad and has to turn around and repent to his family. 
So if I can't disciple them, really, can I really disciple anyone? So my wife and I decided when we were young, our kids were tiny. We said, we're going to raise up men of God. People called in the ministry. Now, they had, they had to be called. God had to choose them. But we're going to raise them just like God had chosen them. And we raised them up that way. And we did things. We, yeah, we had, to, we had to say, you're not watching Saturday morning cartoons. Why? Because I don't like the message coming across on Saturday morning cartoons. Others thought it might have been all right. Some say it's harsh. But my boys stayed serving Jesus all their life. We stayed in their lives. You know, it wasn't a one-time thing. Relation, evangelism, discipleship, it's all relational. Ask these guys, man, do I, we get up in their business? We do, right? Right, Logan? We get up in business. This morning, me and Ro, Logan were having a nice uh, a conversation this morning. You know, he might want to leave CCI by the time we get back. I have no idea. You guys think Pastor Joe is hard? Listen, anyone who loves you might seem hard at the time, but it's because they love you. You think Jesus was there handing lollipops to all his people? Now, bless your heart, don't cry. You know, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he was a shepherd. He is a shepherd. But how many times did he tell, turn around, have I been with you so long? Are you so dull? Yeah, it's slow. I mean, he was insulting those dudes. And now people like wither up like little lilies, man. You know, and then they're blown away because you say a word of correction. Listen, if your kid runs out in the street, you know, you little kids, they're fast. Man, they're so fast. You know, like your kids, man. One time I lost justice on the corner of Canal Street and bourbon. They used to have a store there. And we went in there and uh, I lost him, man. He just took off, man. Like, I'm where? We're, like, we, we were pastoring up in North Louisiana. We weren't living in uh, New Orleans at the time. And I lost justice, man. My, my wife, you know the look your wife gives you when you had the kid, you know, and like, boom, they're gone. You're like, there's nothing you can say. As a man, like, you're speechless, you know. <laughs> You look all the idiot, you know, and everything. And I found him. He went over by the, you know, the toys. But your kids, they run out into the street in a minute, and you can say whatever you want. Because I've seen this a thousand times. I've done it a thousand times, and I've seen it a thousand times. Your kid gets out of your hand and runs away. I don't care how nice and soft and how whatever you are. Uh, easy training or woke training or, you know, what do they call that nice training? Gentle parenting. I've seen the most gentle parenting parents when their kids run away and they're like, Johnny! Get back here! And try to compose themselves. Yeah, if nobody else was around, you'd be hitting that kid. <clears throat> you'd be hitting that kid. <clears throat> we run a preschool back home. 
for all the uptowners. Ain't nothing but gentle parents. <clears throat> but we see it when they, you know, they're kids. Or if they get bit by another kid. All of a sudden, all the gentle goes right out the... <laughs> You know, someone has to take leadership. Someone has to take authority. You take authority, you take leadership, you know, and there's a time when you have to exercise it in moments. And you, it, authority comes with weight. Right? You say, well, kind word, yes, yes, God calls us to be kind, calls us to be loving. Wants us to be loving. You need to come from a place of love all the time. But once you take authority, you know, if you're messing with the devil, if you're messing with the devil, you take authority, you think your words are sweet and kind? Get thee behind me, Satan. Does that sound kind? Does that sound kind? No, it's authority. And we've confused you know, uh, kindness uh, with, uh, you know, like with this, I don't know even what to call it. And the thing is, is God is asking us to take the authority. To whom those he called, he gave the authority to be the children of God. Exousia. He gave them the right. He gave them the authority to become the sons, the children of God. Every area of your life to take the word of God. I mean, the devil's coming at you. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to try to do that to your family, to your children, to your ministry. He's going to try to do that. That's what he's trying to do. We have the authority. We have the power by the Holy Spirit to walk this life with power. And yes, it means love. It means love. We have to love. We have to love because our God is, you know, eternally, you know, he is eternally, immortally uh, love. You know, the Bible calls him love. You know, the, the God is love. And those that love are born of God. We know that. We understand that. But we also know that God wants us to take authority. God wants us to believe him in his word. And I want to tell you something. When you are following the call of God, it calls for a sacrifice. It calls for laying down your life and following him. Listen to the words of our Savior. Take up your cross. Again, not a kind, gentle place. The cross is not a kind, gentle place. Following Jesus Christ in the face of what's going on in this world, this church stood up in the midst of the lockdown. Again, you think that just came out of love? It came out of love. But it may have not seemed kind to the world. You're not being kind. Meeting together. Man, I walked into Walmart and Lowe's and Home Depot during that whole time. Those suckers never shut down. They were meeting. People were in there. We only shut down our church one Sunday. That was it. And after I walked into Home Depot, I thought I was doing something for the government. Okay, maybe something's going on. Man, I walked into Home Depot. It was full of people. I walked into Walmart full of people. These jokers are making money, man. The kingdom of God is going to keep marching on. We didn't shut down again. We kept going. 
Say, did you catch COVID? Sure. All the strains. All of them. I was traveling all around the country, man. These kids would catch it. Goodness gracious, we got it. I couldn't smell for two years after I caught the first one, man. I'm serious. I lost my smell for like, look, I know people died. I'm not trying to be unkind. I know it was real. It was real. You know, God wanted us to love people, be kind. But here's the thing, folks. We have to decide, you know, as the Bible talks about, as they said in the New Testament, as we've seen depicted in the Old Testament, what is it better to do, serve men or to serve God? And you have to decide in your marriage, in your family, in your life, whether or not you're going to serve God or are you going to serve yourself and men. I got a scripture, Numbers 16, verses 41 through 50. This passage has kind of become something of my call. Number 16, verse 41, it says, The next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You've killed the Lord's people, they said. Now, if you go up and read the passage before, it's Korah's rebellion against the leadership. And the leadership had come out and said, You know, hey, don't we, you know, God had chosen that Aaron and his sons would be the priest. But the rest of the Levites came out and said, hey, man, why can't we serve? Well, because the Lord said. The Lord said. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Aaron. It's what God had instituted. So they weren't coming out against the leadership. They were coming out against God. And what did God do? He was kind. He was gentle. He was loving. And Moses, according to the Lord's instruction, said, Line up these guys over on that side and Aaron and his sons over on this side and God will choose because God had already decided. If you read up above, it says God did this kind thing by opening up the earth and swallowing everybody right down to hell. That's what it said. That's what it said. Read it. Look, I'm not trying to be unkind, folks, but our God is a consuming fire. The book of Hebrews says that. That's New Testament. Our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. You say, well, he's, he's, I got to be afraid to him. Not to, no, he's a loving father as well. But he's also God. And he knows better than us. And that's what we're talking about. So the next day, the whole Israelite community grumbles against Moses and Aaron and again it was God that opened the earth not Moses and Aaron but they said you've killed the Lord's people man isn't that just like the church you preach the word and everybody gets mad at you brother you just preaching the word I'm just preaching the word Jesus said this not me all right but when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting Meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. And the plague has started. So Aaron said to Moses, 
So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly, and the plague had already started among the people. But Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. When the Lord gave me this message, standing between the living and the dead, about 1993, we had just started the Bible college down in New Orleans. I think it was 94, actually. We started in summer of 93, 92, 93. We got the building. So this is 94. 1994, we're going through the projects. We're ministering to these 13 projects in New Orleans. Thousands of people, man, just racked with gangs and guns and violence and drugs. You remember the projects? Been in those projects many times. They weren't kind, gentle places. We were going in there with the love of Jesus, and we saw people get saved, healed, filled with the Holy Ghost. We'd, We'd put tents up in the middle of those places. We'd preach. Pastor Joe, man, that's when we learned that Pastor Joe could, man, he could shuck the corn, man. He could preach. Man, me and Pastor uh, uh, Chancellor Noah would sit in the back and say, that bad boy could preach, man. You know, that brother would be up there preaching. Back in those days, he wore a suit, man. He stepped out in a suit. Man, you looked like fly. Man, you were like, you look, he looked awesome, man. And then he'd get in the churches and he'd dance. He'd go to the church where they played the music and he would dance in a suit. He'd pull out a handkerchief back in the day. Pastor Joe, man. How many minutes I got? Ten? Okay. Okay. Awesome. We stepped out one day onto a curb Sunday afternoon. I had a man of God with us that was from uh, New York who, held the, who started our did the uh, sidewalk Sunday schools there in the Bronx, New York, thousands of kids every week. And we were about from here to that wall from the street. And two kids walked out, two guns loaded. And as this guy was coming down on a bike, he had a helmet on and shorts. And uh, he was on one of those, you know, like Kawasaki bikes. It was green. And those kids just gunned him down. Bike slid. He got up, tried to walk away. He just had his helmet, and they just kept shooting. We were in the projects. People were, like, running, diving through windows. People were screaming. Bullets, you could go, like that, you know, just hear them. And then that kid laid down in that street. The police would come, and, you know, they put cones 32 shell casings. They had fired at that kid 32 times. His body was riddled with blood, riddled with holes. <clears throat> we stood on that corner, and my brother from New York said, man, this is just like the Bronx. First person to run to him was a lady. Many people thought it was Mama Jan to pray down on the street. We thought that boy had passed away. I found out later on, God spared that boy's life. But I remember that night when I didn't know that I thought that boy had died. Hundreds of kids were surrounding. Kids, just kids surrounding. 
They were just looking at it like they had seen it a thousand times before. They were sucking on coal cups. You guys know what that is? On the projects, there's always the mama in one of the, one of the apartments that makes coal cups and sells them to the kids. They turn it on the side. They're licking on it. They're just standing, little kids, watching this young man's life pour out in the streets. And I remember that night, God brought me to this passage. And God showed me, this is what your life is about. The plague of sin is in this world. And the enemy, he's not trying to be nice or kind. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And that life that he gives, folks, comes through his church, through us. We are the ones that are called, like Aaron, to run with the fire, the Holy Ghost that God has made available to us all. The fire of God. To take a stand between the living and the dead. God doesn't call us to save people, but he calls us to run with the fire and bring the light of Jesus Christ into dark places and places like uh, Alaska or wherever God sends us, but a willingness to go, a vessel ready, willing to go. You know, when I studied this, Aaron was 100 years old. Aaron was 100 years old, according to scholars. When Moses was telling them, get up and run. You think you got an excuse for not doing what God wants? Every one of us could make an excuse for not obeying the call of God. But at the end of it, at the end of it, what's it really cost? Our disobedience. What is our disobedience cost. It cost lives. Eternal lives. You want to know why we're doing what we're doing? I'm going to be 60 in just a short minute. But I'm running. Until Jesus takes me home, I'm going to run with this fire. I'm going to run. If I got to travel another 300,000 miles, I don't care. I don't care. And it doesn't matter what it costs because the greatest cost has already been paid. What's God calling you to do? What's God asking of you? What have you been ignoring in your quiet time with the Lord? Those people that were dying in numbers, they died because they wouldn't listen to the leader that God had sent them. You think, you think that man, you think that man and his wife and the pastors God has placed around you are doing it just for their own selfish reasons? Man, I have never found such 
smart and gifted people and incredible people like the Wyrostics. They could do anything. They could be anywhere. But they're here. They're here. And the people that God has surrounded them with. I can't even say y'all's last name, Sciansky. Did I do it right? Like the Sciansky's. Berto, Griselda, all these people. I remember them as teenagers. I remember praying over them at youth group when he was a youth pastor. Or when the, when the youth group. Jared, over there in Dallas. I remember praying for some of them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now to see these men and women that are burning for God. Burning with the fire of God in dark places. They said yes to Jesus. That's all you got to say. And then you got to get up. And you got to run with this fire. If that's you, get up. Get up right now. You want to run with the fire? Get up. Come on down to this altar. You want to run with the fire? Come on down to this altar. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us, God. Change us. We're here. We're saying yes. We say yes to you, Lord God. We say yes. We say yes, Lord God, to you, Lord God. Forgive us for our no's. Forgive us for our doubts. Forgive us, God, where we have not done what you've asked us to do, God. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purge our hearts, God. Forgive us of our sins. God, all the anger, all the jealousy, the pride, the rebellion in our hearts that doesn't want to listen to those that you put in our lives. Lord God, all the things that we're ignoring right now, Lord God. God, we say, forgive us, God. And we lay them at an altar. We take up the cross and say, Jesus, I'm following you. Come on, say it this day. I'm following you, Jesus. Wherever you call me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to say, I will do. Who you've called me to be, I will be, Lord God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Fill us now. Come on. If you got that heavenly language that God's giving you, pray in it right now. Come on. Fill us, fill us, fill us, God. Change us from the inside out, Lord God. Oh, Lord, we say yes to you, the Messiah. We say yes to you, the We say yes to you, God. Transform us. Oh, we say yes to you, God. 
God, we're so thankful for everything you've given us, everything you've done for us, for your great love. You love us, God, and you call us to love like you. God, we thank you. Strengthen us from our innermost being, God, for what's coming, Lord God. God, we're not going to be afraid about what's coming, Lord God, because we know who you've called us to be, and we know who is coming, Lord God. We know that you're coming, and we want to be servants that are doing the Master's will when you come, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus, Pastor. In these last few moments, we're just going to not do the typical kind of altar call because I just want Brother Anthony to keep holding this, and we'll get you the water as well. Hallelujah. Yeah, go ahead. I want him to lay hands on as many of you as he can in this service. Hallelujah. But before he does, I want to let you know we will be receiving an offering. Uh, through the online app or in here. You can just put Freeman or uh, Compassion Core. But I'm just going to turn him loose in just a few moments just to do the Pentecostal laying on of hands because we need this. People flock to have a, a touch of a Pope and that man doesn't carry any more of an anointing than I carry the understanding of particle physics. Are you understanding me? This is the real anointing. So hands are going to be laid on every one of you. We're, he's just going to lay hands and just say whatever the Lord says, okay? But if you don't know Jesus, make sure you accept Christ into your heart today. Repent of your sins. Be born again. As we, take as we took communion and you heard that message, make sure you receive it. And then if you're looking for a mentor, someone will help you with that. But we're going to head out whenever we dismiss in these next few moments. The dismissal will be given. You can dismiss out the, the door um, because we don't want you going back to the back. There's already people waiting there for the second service. But please, this would be my plea with you. Please don't leave until he's laid hands on you and prayed for you. Just at least bless you in the name of the Lord that this will multiply. So, Father, as we prepare to dismiss from this place but not your presence, we pray that that anointing that you have put upon Brother Anthony, a call that's been placed upon apostles handed down from generation to generation for world changers and history makers and roof breakers, oh God, will be passed into this congregation today, oh God. That there will be a congregation, Lord, that stands between the living and the dead here in Chicago, Lord. And that what you're doing, God, in Alaska will continue to grow. And what you're doing in other places like Minneapolis, where he just came from, where the gospel's being spread, Lord, it will bring revival to this land. And we would see the nations won, O oh Lord. We would see, O oh God, the plague of sin cease in the name of Jesus as errands run forth with the cure of heaven. The cure of heaven is the blood of Jesus as the errands of this generation run with the blood of Jesus. Run to the abortion clinics. Run to the businesses where the mothers are at and reach them in the name of Jesus. Reach young adults. Reach them with the cure, the blood of Jesus. 
Father, I pray that we'll never be the same again. That we will remember what you have told us, Father God, that the Word of God will be in our hearts and minds. And that you will bless us on our jobs. You will bless us in our families, O oh Father God, that the Word of God would be the prosperity of our lives, O oh Lord. You would bless our children, Father. For life is short. Life is short. And it ought to be lived for you so that we can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Can you bless him, Metro Praise?